If you will, make your way to Proverbs 16. The message is entitled, The Lord Establishes Our Steps. We are closing out 2023 and preparing for 2024. There are many blessings that we can be thankful to God for from the past year and many things to be optimistic about in the year ahead. Next Sunday, I intend to focus on some of those things and highlight where we've come from in the past year and what we hope to accomplish and the direction we're going in for the new year. Uh, But today, we want to reflect on the things that are past and look to the year to come in a focus on how the Lord is with us and establishes our steps along the way. I'll tell you, there's one thing I think Christian people have in common, and that is a desire for their lives to count. If we want our lives to count for something, to have meaning and purpose, we need to align our hearts with God because God is our creator, God is our redeemer, God is our sustainer. And we want to align with him so that our lives go in the direction he wants them to go in. Proverbs 16 and verse 9 says, A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. If you know a little bit about Proverbs, you'll know that each section of Proverbs is essentially a collection of wisdom sayings. They're typically not directly connected, so we wouldn't think about a chapter in Proverbs being an exposition on one theme or one idea. It would be more a collection of ideas. However, some of the Proverbs also carry with them some consistent ideas that go together. I think Proverbs 16 is one of those. And that's what I want to emphasize as we work through this chapter together and we think about how the Lord establishes our steps. Now, the writer of Proverbs tells us here in verse 9 that we plan our way. We're all familiar with planning. It's a practical part of what we do with our lives. Planning is determining what to do and how to do it. It directs us where to go. When we have a good plan, it has the effect of lowering risk at least some, because we know what to anticipate. It guides us in our decision-making and wisdom for decision-making. We waste less time, and we all know intuitively that it is an important thing. In fact, people who are talking to you about planning your future and your goals and setting ideas and having dreams and so on about what's to come will tell you that you need to envision yourself in one year, three years, five years, whatever the case might be, And you need to think about where you want to be in that time frame and then map out how you're going to get there. So at its most basic level, planning is important. It's good for personal development. It can set the direction of our lives. It helps us prepare and focus and also steward the things that the Lord has entrusted to us. And it helps us assess our goals to see whether or not they're realistic, whether or not we can actually see them come to pass. There are a number of passages in the scripture about planning, including commendation of the ants who were making provision, uh, planning of the shepherds who would take care of their flocks and whatever the needs were, uh, planning for building a tower. And Jesus said, you better count the cost if you're going to do that. Uh, Planning for storing up treasures in heaven because how we live affects what our eternal reward and our eternal responsibilities will be. But here's the warning. 
it is possible to reach every goal that we ever set for ourselves and yet still miss out on what God's purpose is for our lives. Because while we make plans, the scripture also is clear that the Lord determines our steps. I believe that God is concerned about your earthly future as well as your eternal future. And it's been said that history is his story. It's the outworking of God's plan over the years, the generations, the centuries, over the ages. And if we focus on our immediate troubles rather than the hope of where we're headed, we can easily become discouraged and disheartened and even confused or or angry or even depressed because we can't fully comprehend all that God's plan contains for us. And that's why God gives it to us step by step and prayer by prayer. He leads us along the way by his grace. I believe there needs to be an urgency to our understanding of how our steps are established by the Lord. There needs to be an urgency about the things that we want to accomplish. There's a story from the American Revolutionary War, uh, of course, a long time ago, about a colonel by the name of Colonel Rawl. Colonel Rawl was a commander of the British troops in Trenton, New Jersey, during that time frame. And one day, he, as the story goes, he was playing cards. And the courier brings to him a message telling him that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware River. What did Colonel Rawl do? He put the letter in his pocket. He didn't bother to read it at the moment until his card game was finished. But then, realizing the seriousness of the situation, he hurried his troops, trying to make a comeback for what was upon them. But his procrastination actually led to many of his men being killed in the entire regiment was captured. Later on, Nobert Quell gave a report of the incident and said, only a few minutes delay cost him his life, his honor, and the liberty of his soldiers. Earth's history is filled with the wrecks of half-finished plans and unexecuted resolutions. Tomorrow, it said, is the excuse of the lazy, and it's the refuge of the incompetent. You can plan out every aspect of your life, but God is the one who ultimately determines what will happen. So we hold strongly to the providence and to the sovereignty of God because we know that we rest in the providence and the sovereignty of God. But at the same time, God has given us a free will. He's given us the ability to honor him and to follow him and to learn from him and to know him and and to become more like Jesus. And these are the things that we are to commit ourselves to. So the first truth I want to show you is that the Lord has prepared everything for his purpose. The Lord has prepared everything for his purpose. In verse 4 of Proverbs 16, it says, The Lord has prepared everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of disaster. You see, the Lord is not dependent on anyone. He is in control of all things. He is assured of his purposes. And God also sees it all from the beginning to the end. At best, all I see are just moments in time. All I can do is look back at what has already taken place and evaluate it and learn from it and study it. But in reality, God's the only one that knows what's coming in the future. So we prepare and we understand that we want to be 
in a place where we are obedient to his purpose for our lives. Now, I believe that God has a purpose for this present world. When we look around us in the creation that has been devastated by sin and suffering and death and all the problems that are with it, God has the answer. He gave that answer and that hope early on after the fall. And that answer, of course, is Jesus. And if we believe that God has a purpose for this present world and that he is building a kingdom for himself, then we'll look and we'll want to know what is God doing in the world? Sometimes we get myopic and we see our own family or we see maybe our community or we maybe see a subset of people that we're involved in or we might even look at the nation or the world and we wonder what's going on. Are we losing ground? But I've got news for you, good news for you about the kingdom of God. There are more people today coming to faith in Jesus Christ daily than in the history of the church. There are people around the world that are being gathered into God's family and into his kingdom. And it is a great time to be alive. The resources that are available to us, are you kidding me? The opportunities that are in front of us, the way that we have freedom to go and to do, and we have resources the Lord's entrusted to us, and we have the Holy Spirit empowering us, we have the Word of God directing us. This is a great time to be alive. And the church, the people of God, should be the most optimistic of all. We should be the most joyful of all because we can understand from his word what his purpose is for the world. But let's think a little bit closer to home. Not only does God have a purpose for the present world, God has a purpose for your daily life. We are shaped and prepared for the world to come in our daily lives in the here and now. This relates to your personal walk with God. This is your service to God. It's your family. It's your friendships. It's your vocation. It is comprehensive of your life. And it's a beautiful thing that God has plans for us in our generation. So we want to live by his grace. We want to live surrendered. We want to follow him. And there's a verse in the book of Acts in chapter 13 that's always stood out to me. And it says this about King David. It says, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation... He fell asleep, and he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. I want to focus in for a moment on this phrase, he served God's purpose in his own generation. Church, I want to serve God's purpose in my generation. And what we are here for together collectively as the people of God is to help you serve God's purpose in this generation, the generation that God has placed you in. We couldn't have been placed in another one. We're placed in this one. We're in the age that God thought was the best to put us in. We were born into this world and we were born into this world for a reason. And we want to follow that and we want to honor God with everything that he has entrusted to us. I think one of the things that sometimes works against this is that there is a tendency to draw a line between the sacred and the secular. It's not particularly helpful because uh, who you are in your relationship with God guides everything else. So people begin to think about their Christian life as what they do on Sunday or what they do when they're doing something that they would call spiritual, like praying or reading the Bible and so on. But in reality, the Christian life encompasses every facet of your life. 
It's your personal devotion and your walk with God. It's your motivation for living and doing what you do. It's your direction for the vocation that God has put you in and the natural gifts that he's blessed you with. Everything is included in God's purpose for our lives. And we shouldn't divide between the sacred and the secular. Now, sometimes it's difficult to distinguish between a goal and a purpose. So let me attempt to do that. Goals might be defined as what we wish to accomplish. Purpose is what we hope to accomplish through those goals. So we can think about the details of what we want to accomplish, but the purpose asks the question, why? Why do you do what you do? Why do you care about the things that you care about? Why do you invest your time and your resources in the things that you invest your time and your resources in? Is it to be a representative of Jesus and to make the world a better place in Jesus' name so that people would know him and, and experience the blessings that, that we have experienced? Or is there some other reason why you do what you do? Do you just do it out of obligation? Friend, if you do it out of obligation, it will not last. And it will not come to any spiritual effect. It has to be out of your desire to honor God. There's an example of the difference between goals and a purpose from uh, a swimmer by the name of Madeline Dorado. At the age of 23, uh, Dorado was somewhat of a late bloomer when she qualified for the 2016 Olympics. As the story goes, she had just narrowly missed qualifying for the 2012 Olympics, and everybody knew that this was going to be her last chance and her only chance to compete in the Olympic Games. So she was going to compete in the 400-meter medley and the 200-meter medley and the 200-meter backstroke and, and maybe another one or two. And she credited her, her coach for pushing her to try for the Olympic team. And while that was her goal, it was not her purpose. She said in an interview, I don't think God cares that much about my swimming. This is not my end purpose to make an Olympic team. And when asked what she thinks God does care about as she prepared for Rio, she replied, I think God cares about my soul and whether I'm bringing his love and mercy into the world. She said, can I be a loving, supportive teammate? Can I bless others around me the same way God has been so generous to me? And in case you're wondering about these goals, driven by her purpose, she meddled in all four events that she competed in. One bronze, one silver, and two gold medals. So this message today is not about just goals. Anybody can help you set goals. You can go on the internet this afternoon and you can find a thousand directives on how to set goals. And there will be nice acrostics about what those goals are going to produce for you and everything else. But if a purpose is not driving your goals, it's going to come up short and you're going to be disappointed with the outcome. God has a purpose for this world. God has a purpose for your life. And God has a purpose for the world to come. You see, he created this world by his word, his power, and his wisdom. And Isaiah 46 and verse 9 says, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. I believe the biblical story is headed toward an eternal destiny in the new heavens and the new earth. It is God's ultimate purpose to recreate the fallen world and to recreate a new, a, a new heaven and a new earth. And he's redeeming a people for himself to dwell there. So we can say, as the Bible says, all things are being summed up in Christ. 
who is the end of it all. And it would be a sad thing for any of us to appear at the judgment seat of Christ and find out we fulfilled our goals and followed after what we thought our purpose was. And then it turned out in the end that it was not God's purpose for our lives at all. That'd be a tragedy. The Lord has prepared everything for its purpose and for his purpose. And then second, the Lord is pleased with the way of the righteous. Let's look now at Proverbs 16 and verse 7. It says, when a person's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. The way or our ways is an expression that is used in the Bible to refer to a mode of action or conduct that is either approved or rejected by God. So there's the way of the righteous and there's the way of the wicked. And the New Testament builds on this concept. A way is described as a traveled road. It's a journey. It's a, it's a direction. In fact, it was what was used to describe early Christianity. Not necessarily always in the most positive sense, but they would refer to the Christians as people of the way. Well, I wonder, are our lives representative of Christ to the point that people would look at us and say, there's something different about them? They're people of the way. That person's a follower of Christ. There's something different about how they live their lives and who they are. You see, our testimony makes a difference as we live in the world. And we are to honor God as we walk in the way. I think about Enoch in Genesis 5 who walked with God, who was well-pleasing with God to God. And a walk is not necessarily spectacular. In fact, life is a whole lot of ordinary. Is life not a whole lot of mundane from time to time? Like we wake up and we do a lot of the same things. We're we're creatures of habit. Um, there's a lot of sameness about our day-to-day routines. We, we know how to do what we know how to do, and we know how to go where we know how to go. And, and sometimes it can just feel like, really, what's, what's the outcome of this? And, and walking is not the flashiest way to go somewhere. But I tell you, if you walk steady, you'll get somewhere. You'll get where you're going eventually. It might be a little bit on the slow side. But I think that's an excellent metaphor for the Christian life that we're in this walk with God. God's the one who determines the pathway. God's the one who determines the direction. But we're walking with him in the way. And there's a contrast in the scripture between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. I think about Psalm 1 that describes both and concludes the end for both ways. And the language is blessed or happy. Psalm 1 and verse 1 is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. But now listen to verse 2. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. So the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Our way encompasses how we think, how we behave, how we belong, the way it includes the, the path or the general direction that we're going in. The way of the godly even has an impact on our enemies. Isn't that an amazing thing? And you know what the proverb, I think, is telling us? Our testimony for God matters. You can have a good testimony for God, and hopefully your words and your way are consistent. And you can be a help to other people coming to faith in Christ. Or it can be a hindrance. And let me tell you, the greatest way that you, the way you live 
is a hindrance. When your words and your actions are incongruent and you're hypocritical about the way you live your life. You know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you who it affects the most and, and the quickest. Your kids, people in your house that know you the best. Oh, they know. You can give them all the Jesus talk you want to give them. You can give them all the spiritual talk you want to give them. But what are they really like? What are we like? What are we like when nobody else is looking? What do we care about? What drives us? What compels us? What's important to us? This is all a part of the way of righteousness and committing our actions to the Lord. You'll notice in verse 2 that there's an emphasis on uh, surrendering our motives to the Lord. Uh, it says in Proverbs 16 in verse 2, all a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. I'm going to tell you that verses like that are some of the most sobering verses in all the Bible because God sees it all. He knows what our purpose is as well as our goals. He knows who we really are. He knows what we really care about. And we're to surrender those motives to the Lord. We're to commit our actions to the Lord. It says in verse 3, commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. God guides us through his word and he shows us the way. Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And we're guided by the Holy Spirit. So I believe pleasing God should be the goal of all believers. Walk with him by faith, walk in the spirit, submit to the word. And Jesus made it plain that if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. The Lord is pleased with the way of the righteous. But there's a third and final truth. The Lord grants happiness to those who trust in him. The Lord grants happiness to those who trust in him. Now look again at Proverbs 16 and verse 20. It says, the one who understands a matter finds success, and the one who trusts in the Lord will be happy. That word's also translated as blessed. Now, I think we all could collectively agree that happiness tends to be elusive. In fact, nobody ever says, or maybe somebody says that, I don't know, there might be a few out there, but hardly anybody ever says, I just wish I wasn't so happy all the time. We don't say that because we generally don't experience it. In fact, my personality, just by nature, is somewhat melancholy in my temperament. And I have to strive for happiness and, and constantly think in my heart and my mind about the things of God. So I understand this idea well. But it's important that we understand what God brings to us in his blessings as his children. In the 17th century, the French mathematician and philosopher and religious thinker uh, Blaise Pascal said this. He said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. And the cause of some going uh, this way and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both. The will never takes the least step to this object, but this is the motive of every action of every man. You see in the Old Testament and here in Proverbs 16 and verse 20, the word happy or blessed means uh, well-being, flourishing, or just straight happiness. It's translated, as I mentioned, as blessed. Now let's make a connection here. It's the same word in Proverbs 16 that is used 
in Psalm 1. Same idea, same concept. And sometimes heavy burdens are laid on Christians, I think, to the point that we misunderstand and misapply the connection between happiness and holiness. And we say things like, well, God wants you to be holy but not happy. Okay. It is true through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. And grace has seen me through. But the point here is, God wants us to be like Jesus and to be holy. Happiness is achieved, joy is achieved through that pursuit. We've also heard burdens laid on people like, well, church doesn't exist to make you happy. It exists to make you holy. Well, there's some truth in that. But it's not the full story. So you got Christians, believers who have carried guilt thinking that if they desire happiness or they desire joy, they're going in the opposite direction from God. And that's simply not true because that's a wrong definition of happiness and it's a wrong definition of holiness. So let me stay it this way. We grow in happiness when we pursue holiness. We pursue holiness when we pursue Jesus. So I want you to know whatever your perception is of Christianity, whatever it is that you've been taught, and whatever heavy burdens it is that have been laid on you, and whatever guilt trip you might have experienced in the past, I want you to know that human flourishing comes from God himself. He's the creator. He cares about your well-being. He cares about your joy. And that can only be found in a relationship with God and alignment with his will. I mean, this is replete in Scripture. I don't know how we miss it so often or we miss the importance of the pursuit. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know what that means to do? It means to rejoice. Christians ought to be the most optimistic and the most blessed, the happiest, most joyful people of all. And that's not driven by our circumstances because some of you have come through some very heavy circumstances in this past year. Some of you are dealing with some very heavy weights right now, and you've got some burdens on you that you don't have an immediate answer for, and you're struggling in the midst of those, and you're somehow thinking that because you're struggling that happiness is not available or accessible to you, and nothing can be further from the truth because if the Spirit of God indwells you and the truth of God guides you, you've got everything you need pertaining to life and godliness, and there's joy in that. The psalmist said, I'll be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praises to your name, O God most high. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. So maybe the connection that we're missing, if we're lacking this joy and happiness and blessing, is maybe we're not filled with the Spirit and surrendered as we should be. If you're in Christ, you're sealed by the Spirit. You're justified by grace through faith. But are you living as a person filled by the Spirit with gladness and rejoicing and joy? Now, I think we can illustrate this by a comparison of extremes. Stoicism uh, rose in the 3rd and the 4th century among philosophers in Athens. And Stoicism held some essential beliefs. Number one, 
virtue uh, is sufficient for happiness. So you don't have to experience happiness. You don't have to feel happiness. You don't have to feel joy. Just virtue itself is enough. That's the key. Secondly, that so-called uh, goods should be regarded with indifference. Like whatever you have, it's meaningless. Number three, that the world is providentially ordered by God. And in that, virtue is the limit of happiness. Now I've oversimplified stoicism. So if anybody here is a philosophical expert, uh, send me an email or send me, see me later. But, but you get the point. This is one extreme. Now let me tell you about the other extreme. It's the health and wealth gospel. It's the prosperity gospel of our day. And it started in the Pentecostal movement, but it spread across many denominations. There are seeds of it pretty much in, in a lot of Christian movements. But it asserts that we have the right to health and wealth, and we can have anything we want as long as we have enough faith. You're sick, problem is you didn't have enough faith. You're poor, problem is you didn't have enough faith. You got issues and circumstances in your life, well, you just didn't have enough faith. That's the mentality of the prosperity gospel. And that is the other extreme. Stoicism focused on virtue or ethics as a source of happiness. The prosperity gospel focuses on health and wealth, and both are divergent views. God, as your father, wants to bless you, and he wants you to be happy in him. Jesus is the gospel. And happiness is trusting in the Lord. It cannot be found ultimately in the circumstances of life because they're constantly changing. But that does not mean that we don't enjoy the circumstances of life. Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. Your Father loves you. He wants good for you. And that's the blessing of knowing Him. So I say to you, the triumph of the cross and the power of the resurrection belongs to us and we are co-heirs with Christ. How could we not find happiness and blessing in the fact that we are co-heirs with Christ? How, how could we not see all that God has done and be thankful? And that changed our whole outlook on life. And then instead of serving God being a burden, it's a blessing. Instead of it simply being an obligation, it's an opportunity. You're seeing these things that God's putting in front of you and saying, Your Father... You are good to me. The goodness of God overflows. The grace of God is super abundant in our lives. And we need to rely on it. There was a man by the name of uh, Tony Shea who went to great lengths to promote happiness and world peace. It's really interesting how people in the world sometimes can get off track, and Christians can do the same, but people in the world can get off track and, and make a pursuit out of things that were never intended to be a pursuit in the way that they went after it. But this man, as the story goes, was a uh, business guru. Uh, he took over uh, Zappos soon after it was founded and, and propelled it to a, an amazing uh, value as a company. But he published a book, and the book was entitled Delivering Happiness, A Path to Profits, Passion, and Purpose. And he became a workplace guru. I mean, he, everybody wanted to talk to him. Everybody wanted something that he had to say. And in 2020, in August, uh, he stepped down as the CEO of the company. Now, a lot of people were quitting during that time frame, but he quit because he wanted to move to Park City, Utah, and he wanted to attract intellectuals and artists with outsized salaries to create this utopia of sorts. Now, it's been tried time and again. Of course, it always fails, and it always ends up in an even more divergent movement. But he thought that this blueprint of this town that he was setting up in this enclave of people 
could be reproduced in other places. Remember, he's pursuing happiness and world peace. That's his end goal. But behind his swift rise to success, he had for years struggled privately with anxiety and alcohol abuse. And five months before his death, he suffered a complete breakdown after abusing drugs. He'd also developed a fascination with fire. You can see where this is headed. He liked uh, doing tricks and performing with fire. And uh, candles were sometimes, they said, perched dangerously on his uh, bedspread. Not a good idea, friends. You don't want to do that. And here's the end of the story. Sadly, he died at the age of 46 in November of 2020 from injuries sustained in a house fire that was ruled accidental by local authorities. Doesn't matter what extreme you go to in this pursuit of happiness, you will not find it apart from your relationship with God. Some of you are unhappy in your soul today. You're unsettled. There's two reasons you're unsettled. One is if you don't know Christ, you ought to be unsettled because you need him as your Savior and Lord. You need forgiveness. You need eternal life. The second reason is you're searching for that happiness and that peace that you long for somewhere else. And you think it's going to bring it to you. It might be your job that you're really good at. It might be through a relationship that you're trying to fix or mend or, or improve. It might be through the possessions that you collect because of that job that you're really good at. And all these things end up feeling empty if they're not from the purpose that God has for us. Happiness comes from a relationship with the Lord, and that helps us even endure times that are difficult. So we're told here the importance in Proverbs 16 of fearing the Lord in verse 6, that there is a holy life-producing fear that is very helpful. Uh, we're told that we're to find contentment in the Lord in verse 8. Uh, contentment's being satisfied with, with who you are and the way things are and what you have. And when you put your trust and confidence in God and you find your contentment in Him, that's where the peace is going to come from. But if happiness is in reality a blessing and it goes together with joy without uh, wrongly defining either one of those or having a misunderstanding of them, then the Lord grants happiness to people who trust in Him. And the reason a lot of people are unhappy is because they're resisting the Lord. You think you got it figured out. Well, how's that working for you? What's that producing in your life? As we're stirred in our soul, we, we want to trust in the Lord and we, we want to surrender it all to Him. So I come back to where I began. A person's heart plans his way but the Lord determines his steps. The times and the seasons and the years, including the year 2024, still to come, are in God's hands. And we got nothing to fear except God. And we've got everything to hope for because he's our father. We sang the song just a few minutes ago, Oh God, our help in ages past. And I asked Pastor Eric to lead us in that song uh, in the earlier part of the service, but I love the words in part, oh God, our help in ages past and our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Friend, he's your help. 
and he's your hope. He's your help and he's your hope. You need help? Look to God. You need hope? Look to God because he's both. And let us look back on the year that has passed with gratitude to God for his grace and his mercy and his goodness. And let us look ahead with hope and anticipation. And let us be filled with faith regarding the possibilities of the year ahead. Because God is our help and our hope. So I ask you this in closing. What are you thankful for? And what are you hopeful about? What are you thankful for? And what are you hopeful about? And here's the exercise I want to give you. If you haven't done it already, it's good to reflect on a year, at the end of the year, on the year that has passed. And I want to encourage you in your own personal time, your devotional time, maybe just have a few minutes this afternoon or whatever, sit down and list the things that you're, fa- that you're thankful for that have come into your life by the goodness of God. Spiritually, physically, emotional, family, vocational, whatever those are, and you list those things out. And then right beside them, list out the things that you're hopeful for. What are you praying for in 2024? What do you want to see God do in your life, in our church, in his kingdom? What are we asking? What are we believing him for? You see, that's where God is at work. When we are believing in him and trusting in him and submitting to him, he is pleased. And he is honored. And I believe that the days ahead are going to be even better than the days behind. A new year is God's gift. So I say to you in closing, in the joyful moments, thank him. In the busy moments, bless him. In the trying moments, trust him. And in the quiet moments, praise him. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. God, you are our help and our hope. We thank you for the greatest gift that has ever been given in your only son. And I pray that in our Christian faith, we would understand what life with you is all about. Help us not to go through the motions. and um, Lord, help us not to get focused on the things that don't ultimately matter, but help us to see all of life as worship unto you. Our spiritual lives, our family lives, our vocational lives, our church life together, our kingdom work, may it all be worship unto you. And may we fear you with a holy reverence as we think about these things. And I pray that as we do that, that you just fill us with joy, Lord. Give, give, us, give us a happiness and a blessing that can, that can only come from you so that when we look at it, we can say, God did that. Can you believe it? Can you believe what God has done for us and through us? That'd be my prayer. That'd be my hope. So, Father, we pray to that end. I pray if there are any here today who don't have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, that today would be the day they repent and believe. I pray if there's some who are struggling with what their purpose is and struggling with finding that joy, you just help them, Lord. Help us. Remind us today who you are and what you've done. And God, may you be glorified by our response to it. Lord, we're hoping for great things in the year to come. 
both in our own lives and in the life of this church. You have done some great things, Father, and we've, we want to thank you. We're going to review some of those even next week as we look back and give you the credit, Lord, for the year past. But in the year to come, would you make us a people of faith, a people of hope, and a people of love? And all we do, that we represent Christ well, and that we find our joy in that. And that people would see Jesus in us, that we are a changed people, that our love is at a whole nother level. Our grace and our kindness to other people is at a whole nother level because of who we are in Christ. And we pray it all in his name. Amen. Let's stand together.